If you haven't been around the past few weeks, uh, what we are doing this fall is we are working our way through the letter to the Ephesians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And we have chosen to study Ephesians because what we are doing through this study is unpacking our new vision, mission, and values, which are all rooted in this letter uh, to the Ephesians. And so this will be our third week, I believe, in uh, our series. And what I've said each week uh, to set things up is that this letter written by the Apostle Paul was a circular letter. And what that means is that it was a letter written to a network of churches that was meant to be passed around. And so it's more generic, we could say, than some most of Paul's other letters that were written specifically to a church to address specific issues and circumstances in that church. But what Paul is doing with Ephesians is he is using it as an opportunity uh, to not, like we've said, uh, speak into specific issues necessarily, but rather to paint a picture of the story of God. And so we really could think about Ephesians in that way, that the Apostle Paul is telling the story of God in this letter. And as he tells this story, he is highlighting how the church fits uh, centrally into God's plan in this story, how God intends to use his church in the world. And so that's what we really keep coming back to in this this series. I want to read our verses for this morning, just two verses, shorter passage that we are going to focus on. Uh, These verses were part of the section that we looked at last week, but I felt like toward the end of the sermon, I was running out of time and didn't really, wasn't able to do justice to these verses in the way that I wanted. So we're going to come back and focus in on these two verses in particular. So let me read them for us. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God the Father put all things under his feet, that's Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me take a moment to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would Open your word. Open your word to our minds and to our hearts, to our very lives, so that we might enter into your story and be transformed by it. You know where each and every one of us is this morning. Um, There are likely some in this room who do not yet consider themselves to be believers, followers of you, Jesus. Uh, Others of us obviously have been following you for many years. And so for this time to be meaningful. Holy Spirit, you have to act. You have to move. And so we plead with you to come into our lives more fully, to reveal Jesus to us, and to reveal to us the place of belonging that we have in your story through faith in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Last week, I ended the sermon by uh, sharing an illustration about something that happened two years ago. So Tiffany Ruan, Uh, went on a trip to Italy uh, with the choir that she was a part of uh, from her school in Kansas. And at one point during this trip, they're walking around the streets of Italy, I forget what city it was, and there was a well. And so some of the choir members, as well as other uh, people who were just walking along the street, uh, were looking down into this well, as you you might think you yourself would do if you happened to walk by it. And Tiffany, in the moment, saw it as an opportunity to begin singing. Uh, 
And so she broke into Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah Chorus, singing it deep into this well. And I, I've watched this video for the first time uh, last week, and it, well, it really is an amazing moment as her voice fills the space of that well, as her voice echoes uh, throughout that well and comes flowing back out into the ears of those who are listening. And not only did those who are physically present in that moment get to experience the joy of Tiffany filling the space of that well with her voice, but you know, countless thousands, maybe millions of people now have watched the YouTube video of this happen and have been blessed and benefited as well. And what I said at the end of last week, this is a segue now into this week, obviously, because we're coming back to these verses. As the church, as God's people, we are meant to fill the spaces of our communities with the presence of Jesus so that those in our communities might benefit, so that they might be blessed, so that they might experience the very presence of Jesus in and through his people. That is God's plan for the church. It's God's plan for the world. Jesus wants to fill the world with his presence. How? I've already alluded to it, but we're going to unpack this to understand it more. How does Jesus want to do that? How does Jesus want to fill the spaces of this world with his presence? Well, the answer is through the church, through his people. And so as we look at these two verses, we're going to ask two questions. What is the church and what does the church do? What is the church and what does the church do? So what is the church? Well, as we come to these two verses, we have to remember the context. Um, the, these two verses are part of a broader section here in Ephesians, and, and that broader section is verses 15 through 23. And as I pointed out last week, this is really a prayer of the Apostle Paul. So this is, this is really intimate, what we're being invited into as we read this section of Ephesians, because Paul is inviting us into his prayer life. He's inviting us into the content of his prayer for the churches in Ephesus, but also even for the church today. And what is his prayer? Well, he is motivated in this prayer. He's inspired in this prayer. It's as though he can't slow down, because I pointed out last week that this prayer is a single sentence in the original language of Greek. So 169 words without any punctuation or pause or stop. It's like Paul just goes off. He can't contain himself. He can't stop. He just starts praying the story of God for these disciples in Ephesus, and he's not going to stop until he's done. No time to pause, no time for punctuation. And so these verses, the end of this section, find their place in that broader context of Paul's prayer. So keep that in mind as we isolate these verses this morning, that these verses are part of Paul's prayer for the church. Now, look at verse 22. It begins with, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, Paul is rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and we've said this already in the first couple weeks of this series, that when we talk about Paul telling the story of God in the letter to the Ephesians, it's not a new story. It's new in the sense that now Jesus has come and Jesus fulfills the story. Jesus is the, the central character of the story, we could say. 
But the story that Paul is telling in Ephesians is a story that begins all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. It begins with God in the beginning creating the heavens and the earth. And so Paul here, when he, when he says that everything has been put under uh, the feet of Christ, he's actually um, picking up language and verses from the Old Testament, specifically the Psalms. And we see Paul do this regularly throughout his letter. And it's just a reminder for us that this story is a story that it has deep roots in history. It's not new, but it's an ancient story that finds its fulfillment and freshness, we could say, in the person of Jesus. But notice what Paul says here. After he he makes this statement about God the Father putting all things under the feet of Jesus, in other words, he's given all authority to Jesus. We'll say more about that in a moment. He includes uh, uh, these words, he says, um, which is his body. Which is his body? What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that the church equals the body of Christ. So we we could biblically think of the church as the very body of Christ. Christ is the head, and we are the body. And there's connection there. There's oneness. There's unity that Paul has in mind. The church is Christ's body. What are the implications of this? Well, one of the implications is that the church does not equal a building. We're so accustomed um, in uh, our culture, uh, Christian culture here in the West, in America, to think of the church primarily as the building that we go to, right? And what we do in this building is important. I don't want to minimize that. Um, Because what can happen is that we think to ourselves, Yes, amen, I'm all on board with that. Um, The focus is on the church as the body of Christ and what we do outside the walls of this church. And so if I make it to Sunday worship, I make it. If not, then that's cool too. I still get to be God's people throughout the week. Well, here's the deal. You cannot be the people of Jesus well apart from what we receive when we gather together as God's family in worship. Because Jesus feeds us through his word. Now, you might say, well, I can get the word of Jesus individually, personally, in my own life throughout the week. Yes, you can, but not in the same way. And, and let me say this. I don't even understand like, all, all that that means. Some of it is a mystery. But the mystery is, as we're, we, we're going to come across this word repeatedly throughout the book of Ephesians, the mystery is that God is at work in this world gathering a people a people who have diverse stories and backgrounds. That's the mystery of the gospel, that Jesus is able to do that through his work. And when we come together, when we gather together for worship as God's people, in a mysterious way, you could say, in ways that we don't fully understand, Jesus is present with us by his spirit, and he nourishes us. But it's a collective thing. Like we, To experience what I'm talking about in worship, we all need to be present together for Jesus to do this. And so we receive from his word, I'm reminded of the story as we sing and throughout other parts of the service. And then we come to the Lord's table. And in the Lord's table, Jesus meets with his body, the church, in a mysterious, dramatic way. And he feeds us by his grace so that we might be sent out into the world to do the work of the church. And so don't hear what I'm not saying. A couple Israel gets that, um, that statement. Mike probably does too. Uh, we had a seminary professor who would always say, 
don't hear what I'm not saying. So I am saying the church does not equal a building, but what we do in this building matters. It's important, all right? But the church, let's come back to this point, the church does not equal a building. The church equals the very body of Jesus. This is God's design for the church in the world. In the New Testament, the word church never refers to a building. It always refers to people. People gathered together, people sent out to represent Jesus in the world, but it always refers to people, to followers of Jesus, to a community. The church is God's people. Now, this also has implications for us as far as how we think of our identity. We've uh, used that word identity uh, many times already in the first couple weeks of this series. And when we talk about identity, we're really getting at who are we? Specifically, who are we in Christ? As we are joined with Christ, as we're united with Christ because of his work for us and our faith in him and that work, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for how we conceive of who we are? Well, something that I've um, been stressing already in this letter is that community is a theme. Togetherness is a theme. And we have to be aware of our cultural baggage, our cultural blinders, I could say, when we come to the Bible. Because I, I know for myself, as a person here in America, I have a very individualistic lens that I'm always operating out of. But we see here that Paul is operating out of a very communal lens, thinking of the church together as God's people. And so here's what I want to say. The first week of the series, I talked a lot about our personal identity and how Jesus transforms our personal identity. But here's what I want you to think about now. Your identity as a follower of Jesus is never separated from the fact that you belong to God's people. And what I mean is that even as you are sent in your daily life. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you go do what you're going to do in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, uh, in your home, whatever it might be, yes, you are sent personally as an individual follower of Jesus, but your identity still is that of a member of God's people. And God's people together are being sent out to represent Jesus in the world. And so what this means is that, I mean, Josh said this beautifully earlier, that what happens to our brothers and sisters um, outside of City Church in this city and even other places of the world should matter to us because they are a part of our family. Our identity is as one who belongs to God's global family. And so the church is a people, a community of people. What does the church do? What does the church do? Well, Paul says that it's his body, right? But then he ends by saying, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we could take a step back and we could ask this question, what is God's purpose in the world? What is the goal of God's plan? What is the goal of God's story? Well, we get the answer here at the end of verse 23, that he might fill all in all with the presence of of Jesus. This is the goal of history. It's the goal of the story. It's the goal of life, that Christ might fill all in all. What does this mean? 
It means that God's intention is for the presence of Jesus to invade, to fill every sphere of life. Every sphere of life. Every sphere of existence. Everywhere around us. God's intention is to fill all of those spaces with the presence of Jesus. Now, I want to make a connection for you. Um, Prior to these two verses, in verses 20 uh, up until 22, Paul really, if you go back and look at that, he is talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. And so he's talking about how Jesus was raised from the dead and how Jesus ascended into heaven. And because of that, Jesus is the victorious king. And so Jesus is ruling and reigning over the universe. Now, there's a valid question to be asked, and the question is this. If that is true, how come I don't always see it? How come it seems like brokenness and grief and injustice and sin and evil and death seems to prevail? Like, how can it be that Jesus is really ruling with full authority and visibly I see all of those other things? Well, this is why God's plan is what it is. Because God has made Jesus the king and ruler of the universe by virtue of his resurrection. By virtue of the fact that in his death and resurrection, Jesus really did actually conquer death, sin, evil, injustice, and sin, and evil. I think I said evil twice. He really did all of that. And God has placed him in the, uh, the place of supreme authority over the world. And now the plan, that the vision is for that rule and for that authority to extend into every area of existence. All right? That's the, that's the goal of the story. That's what God is up to in this world. It's his work. Later on in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul's going to talk about this again. He's going to talk about how he's actually give, God has given gifts to each one of us as members of the body so that we might be used by God to fill the spaces of the world around us with the presence of Jesus. This is the goal. And so filling all things equals uniting all things. And what I mean is that if we go back to verse 10 of Ephesians 1, uh, in the first week of this series, I uh, made the statement that verse 10, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. In that sermon, I said that that statement represents the goal, the goal of history, the goal of the story for all things to be united in Christ. But now I'm saying that the goal is for all things to be filled with the presence of Christ. That's because they're one and the same. We we, we could say this, that God's plan is to unite all that is fractured, all that is broken, all that is in disharmony. His plan is to unite it all in Christ. And how does he do that? By filling all of those spaces that have been infected and invaded by brokenness with the presence of Jesus. So they're one and the same thing. All things are united in Christ as the presence of Jesus fills the spaces of our world. How does this happen? How does he do this? We need to come back to um, this idea that it is through the church, through God's people. Last week, I I did this really quickly, Um, so it probably flew over most of our heads, kind of flew over mine in the moment as I was doing it, 
Um, but we made connections back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And what I showed you was that from the very beginning, we hear this word blessed in Scripture. So with Adam and Eve, we're told that God blessed them. With Noah, we're told that God blessed him. In chapter 12 of Genesis, when God calls a guy named Abraham to be his follower and to start the family of God through him, it says that God tells Abram, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This theme of blessing begins in the very, uh, st- at the very start of the story, and Paul is now picking up on it here in Ephesians chapter 1. Because in verse 3, he uses a form of the word bless, I believe, three times. Not only that, but if we go back to all of these references that I, I, I just mentioned, um, with Adam and Eve, with Noah, with Abraham. When, we're, when, when God, we're told that God blesses them, for example, with Adam and Eve, it says God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and fill the earth. Uh, with Noah, it says God commanded Noah to be fruitful and fill the earth. And with Abraham, God tells Abraham he will make of him of a great na- nation. So there's this connection in the biblical story between blessing and filling. And Paul is picking up all of that in his letter, and he's applying it to the church. From the very, I'll say it this way, God's plan has never changed. God's plan has never changed. Even at creation, God's plan was for him to bless his people so that they might represent him, so that they might go into all of the spaces of the world that he made to be good, in order to multiply and be fruitful, in other words, to fill it with God's glory. And then the fall happens. Human beings run away from relationship with God. Guess what? The plan didn't change. It just takes on a new twist now. We're in need of redemption. God has to call people back to himself. He has to win them back to himself. And that's what the work of Jesus is all about. It's the work of grace that we can't Um, in our own efforts, do anything to get back into relationship with God. God does it for us, and we simply trust and have faith in Jesus and his work. But when we are restored to relationship with God, guess what the plan is? The plan is the same. The plan is for God to bless us so that we might go into all of the spaces of the world to fill those spaces up with the glory of God as representatives of Jesus. From beginning to end, the plan remains the same. God has a vision for the earth full of his glory, for the earth filled with his presence. And guess what? How is God going to do that in Wilmington? How's he going to do it uh, in the Cold Spring Tilton neighborhood? How's he going to do it in Trinity vicinity? How's he going to do it in Newark? How's he going to do it in Kennett Square? How's he going to do it in all of the places in which we have put down roots and reside? Through us. Through us. That's the vision. That's the plan. And don't, I mean, when I, when I first crafted, we have a, the vision statement that we can put up here. We exist to fill our diverse communities with the presence of Jesus. When I first crafted this with the help of others, I was a little hesitant. I was reluctant because do we really want to say that, that, that we do this? That, that we fill our communities with the presence of Jesus? Because that's, that's, God does that, right? And the answer is obviously, yes, God is the one who is doing it. But we, we can't minimize the, the vehicle through which God wants to do that in the world. It's through his people. It's through the church. 
And we, rather than minimizing that, we need to embrace that calling. That, that, is, that that's who we are, that that's our identity as God's people, that we are blessed by him in Jesus. And, and Paul, you know, he says it, um, he unpacks it fully for us, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has held nothing back. He's, he, he's, he's told us, I've given you everything that you need. I've blessed you. For what purpose? So that you might be a blessing to the world around you. This is the identity for us to embrace. In the places where we live, in the places in which we work, in the places where we go to school, in our homes, this is the mission. This is the vision. This is what God intends for his people. For us to experience the presence of Jesus and extend the presence of Jesus. This was his, his plan from the very beginning. Let's talk more specifically about how do we do that, especially the context of our diverse communities. We, we need to recognize that the communities in which we live, particularly here in this city, um, and then in, I mean, really, I can't think, of, like I think through our community groups right now, every one of us has been placed in this geographical area in a highly diverse, uh, in, in highly diverse communities. And that can mean a lot of different things. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus calls us to fill those diverse communities with his presence. But we have to be aware of some things. How we go about filling our communities with the presence of Jesus does not always look exactly the same. Or I could say it this way, in certain communities, maybe certain things about God's story need to be stressed, especially in the beginning, more so than others, depending on the exact issues in that particular context. What I'm saying is we have our mission statement um, that we can put up as well. This is our mission. So the vision, big picture, what is the goal? We exist to fill our diverse communities with the presence of Jesus. The mission uh, responds to the question of, well, how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by equipping people who have diverse stories and backgrounds to embody God's story together in the everyday stuff of life. Embody is a full word. It means to give concrete form to, to give a visible form to. So remember the question that I asked earlier? Why is it that the rule and reign and authority of Jesus often seems so invisible? Or, or the better way to ask it is, what is God doing about that? How is God at work to make the rule and reign of Jesus visible? Again, it's through us. That's God's desire, that through his people, through the church, the rule and reign of Jesus would be made visible so that people would come into contact with Jesus through his people, that they might hear the words of Jesus, that they might see the deeds of Jesus, that they might have an encounter with Jesus through his people. It, it kind of sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like it kind of sounds like to me... Uh, God, you really trust us with that work? That, that seems too big, too grand. Well, as we're going to learn throughout Ephesians, and we already have, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has equipped us with what we need. So it's not like he's just said, here's the, the vision, uh, here's the mission, go do it. Apart from his blessing, he blesses us so that we might bless others. But as we embody God's story fully, we have to have awareness of our diverse communities, and so let me use this as kind of an anecdotal example. 
when City Church first started in this neighborhood, I would regularly tell our core group, for the foreseeable future, we are not going to start anything um, in this community except for the church. Um, we're not going to pretend like we know the needs of this community, and so we're not, going, we're not coming in here acting like saviors and messiahs, like we know everything there is to know, and we know what we need to create, and all of that. We're simply going to start this church. We're going to enter into the life of this community. We're going to listen. We're going to learn the story of this community. We're going to learn the stories of the people who reside in this community. And then Jesus is going to use us to speak his words, uh, to live out his deeds uh, in a way that fills those spaces with his presence. But we want to have awareness of where God has placed us and to not be naive about this. Let me uh, mention an example that you all, I'm sure, have been hearing about in the news uh, this past week the, with regard to the Botham Jean, Botham Jean um, uh, murder and Amber Geiger case um, surrounding this murder. Um, you all, if, if you've been following this at all, you um, probably um, are aware of the brother of Botham Jean, who... Um, as he was, not as he was testifying, but at the end of this court hearing, spoke directly to Amber Geiger and um, extended forgiveness to her. I'm not going to take the time to go into it, but so I, I want to say a couple things here. On the, the one hand, it was a beautiful uh, depiction of forgiveness. But for many of us, we stop there and we don't go further. Um, Dorina Williamson, in an article that she wrote um, this week, says uh, this uh, about the whole situation. Listening to the entire Jean family offers us a fuller picture of Christianity. So she's referencing now both the words of Botham Jean's uh, brother, but also the words that were spoken by his mother. In their words and posture towards Geiger and the criminal justice system, we hear calls for both forgiveness and justice. But if we elevate the words of one family member at the expense of another, we run the risk of distorting the gospel. We are deeply moved by a brother's forgiveness. Are we also moved by a mother's pain? And, and I think the issue for us, it's a cultural issue uh, as a people, but also I, I think that it influences us as Christians. It is hard for us. We, we don't like to enter into the pain and suffering of other people. We, we, we want to find the quick fix. We want to move to like the romanticized ending of the story. Now, I am not saying that uh, about Botham Jean's brother. Uh, I can't imagine the, the grief and pain and process that he had to go through in order to be able to speak the words of forgiveness. I'm talking about us, as we isolate that out from everything else that happened around the case, as we isolate it from the words of suffering and pain spoken by the mother, we do that, when we do that, we elevate one uh, over the other. And really, I think the root of it is our struggle to enter into the complexity of issues, to enter into the complexity of people's pain and suffering. We rather just point to, oh, here's a beautiful depiction of forgiveness. And don't get me wrong, it is beautiful, a beautiful illustration of the gospel. But let's also walk with people in their pain and suffering to understand all of the complex issues so that we can bring 
the gospel to bear more fully so that we might embody God's story together. Um, Rich Villados is a pastor, and I think he sums, sums it up well. He says, could the church consider a third way forward, a way not characterized by sappy, moderate sensibilities, nor by cheap reconciliation, but by lament, anger, grace, and forgiveness? In a complex world that has been um, just unraveled by sin and its consequences, this is the approach that is needed. Lament, anger, grace, and forgiveness. The question, he says, is not whether forgiveness is the right thing to offer. The relevant question is, in a racialized society, can we hold together all of the layers of pain while pronouncing grace over another? As we seek to fill our diverse communities with the presence of Jesus, it is going to require everything from us. It is going to require that we take up our crosses to follow Jesus. It is going to require that we enter into the deep, uh, horrible, tragic pain of other people in order to listen. In order to, if we're, as we think about the ministry of Jesus, what did Jesus do with people? Jesus was present with people. And so we're going to have to stop scrolling through our, our, our iPhones we're going to have to stop. We're going to have to stop being obsessed with technology, and we're going to actually have to be present with and to people. It's going to require everything from us. If we're going to enter into the lives of, of people's complex issues and the, the complex issues of our communities, it is going to require that we are fully present, that we are willing to listen, and that we are willing to speak words of grace and forgiveness, and restoration, and to follow that up with deeds that represent the message that we proclaim. It is going to require everything from us. But guess what? We get everything in return. Actually, it's better to say we've already been given everything. Paul said that, didn't he? Verse 3, you have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been given everything. And, and that's why we can actually, uh, we're empowered to go out and we have nothing to lose as the followers of Jesus. We have nothing to lose. We've been, every, we've been given every spiritual blessing, including our eternal security in the story. We have nothing to lose. We are empowered to go out boldly with words of grace and, and lives that demonstrate that. And so the question that I want us to consider, like I, I think Josh actually brought this up earlier. He did bring it up earlier when he was talking about urban promise. A vision, you know, by itself is just words on a screen or words on paper. My question for us, City Church, as God's family, are we willing to make this vision ours? Are, are, are we willing to own it together? Are we willing to say, this is not just the vision of the leaders of the church. It's not just a vision maybe of some of the community group leaders as well. This is our vision. And we believe that Jesus is calling us to this. Imagine, I, I, I'll say this in closing. I want you to begin to imagine and dream of what it might look like for our diverse communities to be filled with the presence of Jesus. And I'm not even going to say things to help you think that through. I'm just going to leave that with you. What might that look like? What might it look like 
What kind of things would change? What would be different if the presence of Jesus invaded all of the spaces of our communities? Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the fact that you have invited us into this story, that you have given us a place of belonging through Jesus. Help us to be your church. Help us to be your people in our communities. We pray that people would come to know Jesus, that they would experience his presence through us. This is how you've designed it to be, Father, and we trust that you know what you're doing that you have given us what we need and will continue to give us what we need. So help us, we pray, to be your people in this city and region so that your glory might be encountered, that your glory might be known, and your glory might be celebrated. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.